Hi, everybody. This is Alex Romanovich, and welcome to Global Edge Talk. Today is May 12, 2020, and we have a wonderful guest, Bob Stevens. I've known Bob for quite some time, uh, probably over 15 years now. He's a former partner at Mercer Management Consulting. He was a, an executive vice president and head of operations at Bluefly, the famous internet retailer. He was also a vice president and a head of a strategy and M&A for Scientific Games, which is a lottery and gaming phase. He has been an avid promoter of entrepreneurship globally. He is a student of Tibetan Buddhism, and he is a fun to be with. He is a very interesting guest. Bob, welcome to our studio. Thank you, Alex. It's nice to be here. So listen, I, uh, we've known each other for at least 15 or so years, and um, I always saw you as a very interesting person, global person, global entrepreneur, global business individual, traveled all over the world, did some really cool stuff. Tell me what, you know, what is so, you know, what, what did you learn from all of this experience, traveling to different places? What is your sort of a first recollection or first thing that you want to tell the audience about? Well, my first thought that comes to mind when you ask that question is just how much in common there is everywhere in business. You know, I'm working with a Chinese client right now, for example, and obviously the culture is very different from the culture of the team, and my team is American and European. But um, fundamentally, the way that they think about business problems and the way they address them is really very, very similar um, so there's sort of more, more in common than there are differences, I think. Let's talk a little bit about your, your passion in life. You said you've been a longtime student of Tibetan Buddhism. Tell us more about what, is, you know, what sort of gave you the impetus to, to dedicate yourself to this, to study it, and also how did it help you in your personal and professional life? Well, I think, you know, I think there are probably two passions in my life. You know, one is uh, the work I do, which is really around creating roadmaps for companies, roadmaps for growth. And the other is Buddhism. And um, I certainly haven't studied Buddhism anywhere near as much as some of my friends and teachers and peers have. But, um, you know, it's just been quite very accessible it's, uh, and very powerful. There are lots of slogans in Tibetan Buddhism, you know, one is that things aren't what they seem, and that's just so true. So I think that, you know, there's such an emphasis these days on mindfulness and mind training, and all that comes, at least in my experience, from Tibetan Buddhism, you know, which is also really very focused on science as well. So it's just, uh, to me, it's just been such a powerful tool for being able to handle stresses, being able to develop insights and um, sort of get beyond my own personal fixations and points of views. It's almost like, um, you know, I think of Buddhism as psychology and science, you know, as much as it is a religion. What was the impact on business that you, you know, sort of, what was the impact um, of those teachings on your business dealings and, you know, and how you've approached business? Did anything change in the way you have conducted business? after you've learned more about Buddhism? I mean, it probably has, and I'm probably not even aware of what the changes have been, um, because I also started studying when I was at the beginning of my professional career when I was in my 20s. 
So I don't really know what changed, but I think, you know, it's sort of the, the principles of ethical treatment have been very powerful and just, you know, how we deal with others. And um, I mean, these are all basic principles of any philosophy, but I think uh, probably being a Buddhist, I just uh, maybe take it to heart a little more than I otherwise might. Um, you know, it's interesting because um, when I went to business school, I wrote an essay on the social responsibility of business, which back then was a novel thought, I think. And now, of course, social responsibility is a huge movement in the country and in the world. So I think Buddhism has affected society in a very significant way. So obviously we're in the middle of, uh, this is May 12, 2020, we're in the middle of the one of the most devastating and horrible virus pandemics known to us probably for the past uh, you know 100 years how is it in your view has affect, what was the impact on the global business how has it affected the global business in what you're seeing obviously you're dealing with china you're dealing with europe you're dealing with the united states you and i just spoke uh, casually and you said you know you've been very very busy um, have you seen the decline or have you seen more interest in business or, you know, what, what was the impact? Well, I mean, for, I mean, for me personally, um, I immediately lost a couple of clients because their revenues basically went down by 70%. So it's just a huge immediate impact, but then quite as rapidly, a couple of new clients have come along because now all of a sudden clients are interested in thinking about what new opportunities they can they can pursue. So there's a lot of interest. I mean, especially with um, you know stock prices being much or had been having been lower at least for a lot of companies. Uh, there's a lot of interest in mergers and acquisitions. So I think there are a lot of companies that are looking for opportunities. But then there's just been a, a cultural shift too. You know, just being on Zoom calls constantly with people around the world. I think there's sort of a little bit more intimacy that's developed you know people are more accessible and approachable and I, I, I found there to be much more personal communication and connection you know with, uh, I was on the been on the phone or on zoom weekly for the past several weeks or even a couple of months with some people from India for example and you know we're just really getting to know each other and you know family members kids walk into the to the room when you're on a Zoom call. So there's uh, very strong personal connections that I think are being fostered around the world as a result of the, of the virus. Do you think that all this virtual communications and virtual dating and virtual business dealings and all this virtual stuff, do you think it's going to stick with us when the pandemic is over? Or do you think it's going um, to basically move back to the things the way, the, the way they were before? That's a good question. I don't know how things are going to shift. I don't think anybody does. Um, usually when you go through a situation like this, things don't go back to the way they were. There are some uh, even small but powerful shifts that are, are bound to happen. And I, I certainly think that the virtual economy is you know, rapidly changing. I mean, I do a lot of work in the gaming space, for example. And in Europe, Internet gaming has been a very, very strong phenomenon for many, many years. I mean, probably a decade and a half at least. And in, in many countries, for example, the Internet gaming is larger than land-based gaming or at least equal. 
Um, in the United States, it's really been very limited. But in the few jurisdictions where it, it does exist here, it has taken off like a rocket. And I don't see that changing. I don't see it going back to, uh, to not being a major part of the business. So I think, um, I think some of these, these shifts that are happening really are structural and, and long-lasting. So gaming is up on the rise, and um, what what do you think other segments are going to do well during the pandemic and right after the pandemic? What are some yeah. of the sectors do you think will do exceptionally well? Well, I mean, gaming, so there are two parts of gaming. There's land-based gaming and internet gaming, and the land-based gaming, of course, has been absolutely decimated. Um, nobody wants to go to a casino now and, you know, they're only just now beginning to start reopening in some places. Um, so, you know, beyond gaming, um, the, you know, I, I remember when I was in business school, and this goes back decades, Jack Welch came and spoke to our, to our class and he said, mark my words, you know, we're becoming a service economy. And this is when manufacturing dominated the economy of the U.S. And now, of course, that's totally flipped and he was really quite right. So I think that some of the same things we're seeing now of, you know, virtual corporate models, uh, software as a service, um, and, you know, disruptive innovation across all segments of the uh, economy. Are, I see those trends continuing. You know, I, I don't see small retail being, or mid, let's say mid-sized. I mean, there's this phenomenon, too, we, that Mercer we used to call, uh, you know, nobody ever remembers a silver medalist. You know, that markets for quite some time have been polarizing. So winners take all and the losers, um, you know, sort of get the crumbs. And the second and third people, companies, you know, wind up um, atrophying. And I, th I think that phenomenon will, will continue. And you certainly see that on retail with Amazon, for example. Amazon, Walmart, and Target. Uh, what about healthcare? I mean, certainly that, that's one segment that has been hit so hard. But at the same time, we're seeing tremendous amount of opportunities to improve the way we care for, for the elderly to, in the way that we care in the emergency room setting. You know, all this tech, protective gear, you know, and so forth. What do you think is going to happen with health tech and, and healthcare in general after the pandemic or shortly coming out of the pandemic? You know, I think any sector where there are huge inefficiencies continue to be ripe for innovation and cost reduction. Um, because at the end of the day, it's about enhancing service, service and, and reducing cost. And that's certainly something that many technologies have uh, promised to do. Something like healthcare is a whole other animal though, because it's, there's just so, you've got so many regulatory pressures and political constituents that are involved um, so when you get into those discussions, I think you, it's very hard to predict how it all shakes out because there's so many different voices at the table with different agendas. Um, so, and it's hard for any one company even to have enough power and influence in that discussion to really make a huge impact or at least to control the discussion. So I think healthcare is just so complex and has been so broken for so long that um, I, I don't think I'd venture much of a prediction there. I see, I see. 
Now, your company, Growth Insight, uh, or, or the website is growthinsight.com, and we'll post the link for our audience um, below on the landing page. Uh, and you'll be able to find out more information about Bob and his uh, expertise. Uh, growth. Let's talk a little bit about growth, especially after the pandemic. Um, you and I have done business globally. You've traveled all over the world. You understand the global uh, you know, global business dealings and cultures and so forth. Um, are we going to see some level of growth after this? Is it going to be, a, you know, a, sort of a, a cautious growth? Will it be something that will be immediate? Or, you know, what, what is your prediction? What, what do you think is going to happen after we're safely come out of this pandemic? Well, I think, uh, and maybe this connects with Buddhism a little bit too, your, your initial question, because I think, you know, we've had a slowing down. I mean, people are just slowing down and actually sort of experiencing the delightful spacious quality of their lives, you know, spending more time with children who are at home, for example. And, you know, I know I'm taking far fewer trips out of the house, even for groceries and whatnot. So I think there's sort of a slowing down and I think on average or an aggregate you know I think we are going through a slowing process right now we're having a little bit of a bounce back obviously but but I, I don't think we're going to have the torrid growth that we had before this and I think we are going to have uh, you know lots of issues with unemployment and I think you know consumer spending drives the Western economies and I think that um, you know, consumer spending is going to slow. So I don't think we're in it for a very robust economic picture. Um, at a personal social level, that's, you know, and for some people that's great because they can actually slow down and enjoy their lives better. But, you know, for other people, it's going to be quite painful as they suffer the consequences of unemployment and lack of disposable income. So I think that's on, on average. But, you know, I think there's some companies that you know will do extremely well. Now, yeah, you, your favorite quote, interestingly enough, is fearlessness only arises from true tenderness. Please explain. <laughs> so this is a quote from a, um, a, a Buddhist teacher. Um, and if you think about the conventional image of fearlessness, you know, you think of something that's fairly, or a person that's fairly macho. Um, and in fact, when he presented Buddhist teachings, he used the analogy of warriorship and basically said that a strong spiritual person is like a warrior. But it doesn't mean aggression. Uh, it doesn't mean uh, being aggressive towards oneself or towards anyone else. But he actually sort of said that our basic nature is a nature of kindness and gentleness. And that as we discover our basic nature even more fully, it's through the strength of discovering our tenderness that we can be very helpful to ourselves and others. So in that when we actually connect with what he used to call the tender heart of sadness, which is sort of the core of who we are, we actually become more fearless because our fear is, is so driven by our concerns about what we what either might happen to us that's bad or what we might not get that we want. And when we sort of relax 
a lot of that and just sort of acknowledge our own basic being, then a lot of that we can let go of and then there's less fear. And then we can actually be fearless because fearlessness just arises on the spot. Very interesting philosophy. Um, your advice to the entrepreneurs and to other business folks all over the world is find a balance of vision and practicality. Let's talk a little bit about that. So how do you find this balance of, of vision, ambition, and then being practical? What does that mean to be practical by being a visionary? Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. It's a, it's a good question. And, um, you know, the, the phrase itself is sort of like motherhood, right? So hard to disagree with. But, you know, I've, I've seen so many situations where things don't work out or where brilliant people really get 80% of, of, the, of the building blocks in the right place, but 20% not. And then, you know, they never actually achieve their dreams. So uh, at the same time, I see businesses that don't have a vision and where they, it, it devolves into, you know, making money is the only sort of goal. And I think that people really, you know, if you're trying to build a company, you need a team that really is motivated by a vision and bought into a vision and really quite thrilled by seeking that vision and they'll go the extra mile. So you, you see this all the time where this happens. So I think having vision is really, really critical, but at the same time, you know, you need to figure out how to execute on that. So, you know, I've seen people or companies sort of get, go a little bit too overboard. So for example, I was working with a software as a service company that had a very ambitious vision basically building a new marketplace and they're doing it it's it's coming along it's really um, a brilliant vision and in service of that vision they were trying to go too far too fast and all of a sudden they were doing things like they wanted this is an american company and they wanted to bring that vision to europe so they established an outpost in europe and put a very talented executive there but it was one person trying to build a whole European business. And maybe she had, she had an assistant too. But um, as I looked at it, I realized, well, it wasn't, it wasn't time yet to, to put that person in Europe. What, what they needed was to build a higher share of wallet with the existing clients they had. They, they actually built a very blue chip customer base really terrifically, but they were getting small revenues from each of those potentially big customers. So to me, they had they were doing the right things, but they just had the wrong sequencing. They were trying to penetrate Europe uh, too early, for example. Um, or another, and in that particular situation, they ran into another problem, which you see quite a lot, which was that people hire people that look like themselves. So in that particular case, for example, the technology arm was run by somebody who was very talented and he hired a tech team that resembled himself and had complementary technology capabilities, but they were all basically engineers with a similar kind of mindset and the marketing or the commercial side of the business did the same thing. So all of a sudden 
either you, you lost the opportunity for a diversity of thought and you didn't have enough communication. So you had technology team running towards a goal as rapidly as they can, given the pressure of venture funding, et cetera. And the, uh, the marketing team doing the same thing. And they sort of disconnected. And this was a situation where if you actually just sort of slowed down a little bit more and were more thoughtful about what you need to do first and what milestones you need to achieve, uh, you'd be much more successful. That was uh, some work I did where I was very, very pleased with the outcome because that's an, indeed what happened. They got back on track and uh, now they're doing very well. Interesting, very interesting. Let's talk about your personal uh, personal life a little bit. Since we're on the uh, Global Edge Talk, we have to ask a few edgy questions. Now, you had a very uh, successful, very interesting career and later in life, you got married and uh, you had a child at, uh, at a more advanced age. Tell me what, what that was all about or how that felt and, and you know, what are some of the learnings you got from that? Oh, I don't know that you really want to call me old, Alex, but it's, it's okay. I, you know, from you, I accept it. No, um, no, that's not, it's not about old, but it's, a, you know, it's... it's uh, it's a little bit later in life, right? I mean, typically people have children when they're in their, you know, 20s or 30s. You had a child when you were in your, I believe, 50s, right? That's correct, yeah. And, and in fact, my wife has children who range from 11 uh, to 32. So 11, 24, and 32. So she's got a real broad range of um, child-rearing experience. Right, and that's right, and I'm 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 56 myself, and I have a 10 year old, so uh, I can relate to that experience as well. But I wanted to I wanted to throw the question back at you. So how does it feel? Uh, you know, a lot of folks are concerned about you know age and ageism and so forth. And I always look at you, and and you know it 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 seems to me that you don't care about age whatsoever, um, and and you're always full of energy. You're always you know carrying uh, that energy with you no matter where you go. What's the secret there, Bob? Well, a friend of mine who had children even older than I, you know, later in life than I did, I, I think, you know, said to me once that, uh, you know, you, you no longer have the right to die. You know, you have to sort of keep yourself in good health. Um, I don't know. Look, it's obviously having children is wonderful. And it's been, it was great having stepchildren. And that was really wonderful having the 11 year old. Um, so that's sort of my life, you know, especially in this stay at home economy. I'm um, feeling actually, I feel just so fortunate because we're healthy and um, we have a, an, a weekend place in the country, which is where I've been ensconced for quite some time. And I just, it's, um, you know, I'm working really, really hard. And at the same time, trying to manage his schoolwork, which is a little bit of a challenge because uh, he'd rather get to his gaming computer. But um, it's, yeah, it's a joy. And um, I'm hoping to soon get out to play tennis with him. He's, he is, uh, we, we love playing tennis together. And he's, he's actually, his tennis game is much better than mine. I can still beat him, but his strokes are much better. So I'm really looking forward to playing very soon. Awesome. Awesome. So again, I, I, I feel the same way. It keeps you young. It keeps you energized. And you're right. You have no right to be 
sick or uh, not to take care of yourself and to be basically dedicated to a certain extent to the family, which is a young family. Um, and that makes you young. So there's really nothing wrong with that. Um, I guess at the very end of our interview, I would love to ask you, um, what is your, with everything that's going on right now, with all of your experiences, all of your uh, teachings and, and travel you know, globally and exposure to different cultures, if you were sitting down with a, a young global entrepreneur thinking at a picture right now, what would be your advice to that individual? Um, how would you sort of plan your next three, five, ten years? Um, you know, what are some of the words of wisdom? Bob? I think so much in life is about intention. And I'm <laughs> pretty much discovering this now at a late advanced age. You know, I wish I'd sort of understood this um, earlier. But, you know, it's it's so much about intention and really understanding who you are and that when you really understand your own mind you can really develop confidence i mean confidence naturally develops and confidence is just so important and the and sort of the the blending of confidence and intention you know you can go anywhere um because when you're when you have good intention that you think is helpful for yourself and others and it's sort of a good thing in general um and you have confidence then you you can achieve wonderful ends so i think you know it's the old greek philosophy know yourself you know uh, because so much you know so many people are you know all of us where we get motivated by or attracted to things that really aren't the right things for us so i think it's just knowing what really fits with who you are that's just so so powerful so you know people do vision quests um i mean in my own experience the most thing the single thing that's been the most helpful for me is meditation because you know meditation allows us to really experience our core strength um and it puts a different perspective on pain because you know as the buddha said life is suffering there's just so much suffering that we have every day and others and so when we can experience our own suffering we become more kinder to ourselves and, and more compassionate to others but when it and also when we come in contact with our own feelings our own experience we find better ways to deal with all that and cut through that so i think for an entrepreneur it's the same thing it's about seeing what's real and what works and what doesn't and um you know looking at all that quite honestly and even uh, objectively very interesting thoughts so you know accepting yourself knowing yourself before you um can judge others, I guess. And um, number one and number two, do good deeds, have good intentions, and things will good things will happen to you as well. Those are very, very great thoughts and great, great advice. Bob, thank you very much for being with us. Very interesting, very telling conversation. 
I wish you a lot of help. Wish you a lot of success. And uh, hoping to see you soon after this pandemic is over. We're not that far away in the, in the general New York metro area. And uh, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Alex. It was my pleasure.